How are you? Welcome. Doing we're, we're all, we're all good. Howie, what are you doing? Yeah, good. Alan, your, your phone's a little... Alan, are you on speaker, or uh, is there any way to get your connection better? Um, I'll try. I'm, I'm in my car, but let me see if I pick if I take oh. it off the speaker. <laughs> I would imagine well, in this lawn. Uh, well, say, safety uh, first, you know, I'm Maybe pull, o- maybe pull over. Good. I'm going to pull over. I'm practicing good quarantining, and I'm... Not, not, uh, <laughs> not waiting in the car. Very good. Exactly, exactly. All right, Ricky, thanks um, for joining us. I was, I was just telling Alan uh, that I was sort of uh, skeptical of the rumor that made the rounds this morning about uh, this supposed Stafford Act going into effect and that we were all going to be subject to a mandatory 14-day quarantine. But uh, apparently that's bullshit. I haven't seen that yet. Uh, well, yeah, well, uh, you know, I felt good because I called bullshit on it the second I heard it. So I felt like, all right, my, my skepticism is, uh, is, is doing me well here. And, um, and I have to admit, like, I, I'm always this way. I'm always a little skeptical of things. And, and, and this one, too. Like, I think we're doing all the right things. But, you know, and, and I'm totally washing my hands and keeping my distance. I'm doing everything I'm told. But I guess, you know, as we talk to you, I guess maybe, um, maybe Alan will play the role of the, uh, you know, uh, and I don't even know if this is his view, really, that this is a really bad thing. And I'll, I'll be a little bit more maybe uh, of the view that maybe, maybe we're going a little overboard with this. And um, we'll see where we come out. Because uh, to date, like everyone I've spoken to, whether it be doctors or, or the people who's, you know, who I respect, I, it, it's, it's almost like split 50-50 in terms of uh, you know, where we're at. And I think the longer this goes for, at least in the last week or so, uh, you know, the more people are like, oh, okay, you know, maybe, maybe this is really serious and I really need to do the things I need to do. Yeah, so, there's a lot of skepticism at the beginning, but, uh, and I'll readily admit that there's more paranoia and hype than... Mm-hmm. Uh, actual fact right now but mm. i do think that uh if italy northern italy in particular is going to be representative of what happens in most communities if people don't take it seriously we can be royally uh in big trouble do you is think it's going to end up being isolated like it'll be like well, just certain it, parts it, of the united it, states it, where yeah it explodes you know, and other places where it's possible. We missed the international containment process, and it is likely that there was some scattering of virus uh, in here before that, before the big surge. But um, the reality is that in Italy, they're triaging people to die right now because it's just mm. overwhelmed their system. So it's not just patients are being triaged to die, but nurses, doctors, etc., because they just don't have enough in the way of resources to keep everybody who needs invasive interventional care uh, on life support. And that's the problem. Why, why, why is Italy sort of the outlier on this? And, and maybe not so much an outlier, but, but in terms of like what, how this virus has affected certain communities, it seems that that's been right. the worst so far. Is there any, any right. explanation for why that so is? Well, the biggest communities were geographic, obviously China, uh, Macau, Hong Kong, uh, Korea, and then, um, Iran and Italy. Those are the main sites at the beginning. Why is that? Probably has to do with travel and whether or not they uh, were taking it seriously. I mean, Iran, for a while, some of the mullahs were telling people to lick this holy stone and that would help cure them. If you have thousands of people licking the same stone, the spread is going to be ridiculous. Yeah, so like I well. think that's part of it. 
And I don't know exactly what happened in northern Italy, other than perhaps either a hub for transport or people coming back from China. But it just blossomed there and spread rapidly because they didn't have any interventions at the beginning. And it just spread like wildfire. I mean, if you look at the countries that have been most effective, most affected, it's uh, China and the immediate surrounding and then Iran and Italy. But numerically, we will catch up to Italy in no time just because we're a far bigger country. And I think at right. the beginning, people just didn't take it seriously. I mean, I was in the airport the other day. I had to take care of a family function. And there was, guy, there, were, there was a guy sneezing all over the place. That guy should not have been allowed in the airport. He should not have been allowed to go through security. And he should not have been allowed to be on the plane because everybody right. around him is now at risk if he is anything other than just having an allergic reaction. And whether it's the flu or COVID-19, it doesn't really matter. He's, infectious. he's infected unless he's having an allergic reaction. Mm-hmm. And, and the people in Italy that, that, are, that are getting it, are, are they, they tend to still be the, the older, uh, you know, older people with the well, underlying... The pe- yeah, uh, the people who illness. are dying are definitely uh, over 80 and or those with serious chronic illnesses, especially uh, cardiac disease or pulmonary disease, respiratory diseases. Okay. It seems to me that the big issue is um, the, over, um, the overall impact it has, just uh, overwhelming the hospital care system and the amount of you know, doctors and, and, uh, and ventilators and all the things that they need. But um, beyond that, this might sound, I don't know if this sounds a little crass, beyond that, it seems like everywhere it starts to slow down, and if you can avoid that one spike, obviously, even if 20,000 people die in the United States, that's, that's horrific, obviously. But if it happens where we don't overwhelm everything, um, and we practice this kind of uh, distancing, Seems like it might get back to. I, I'm almost being optimistic that that it seems like it's it's a surmountable problem. I agree with you. If people exercise good judgment and altruism, then we will head it off. It's not something that is, as they said, it's not something that's going to be prevented. The whole idea now is on the order of containment and treatment. The whole idea, I don't know how many people watch the uh, spikes and the different shape curves depending on what protocols are followed, but we will have, without a doubt, 20,000 people in the states who are positive, and if you figure that's only the tip of the iceberg, probably 100,000 or more that actually are infected. The good news is 80 to 85% will have minimal to minor symptoms. And it's the 10 to 15% that you worry about. But 10 to 15% of 200,000 is 20 to 30,000 people. And that's an awful lot of uh, supportive care that needs. That would, over, that would overwhelm our system. Would it? Because that's, that's just, isn't, that, isn't that essentially the same number of people that die every year from the flu? I think it's even yeah. less. Yeah, that's right. 20 to 30,000 people, 20, people in America will die of the flu this year. But so, why, so, why would this, so why would this overrun our system then? Well, you have the flu and this. Okay. So it's and it's also the flu, the flu is spread out this year from roughly figure September till April. And this is all going to become crashing down pretty much in March and early April. 
so you're condensing it. Right. So the whole idea is if it's spread out over time, as Alan said, it, it would be tragic for 20,000 people to die of this. But mm-hmm. if it's spread out over time, our system, our health system can handle it. You know, our hospital has about 1,000 beds, and they've isolated, or they've, I should say, reserved 10 beds, uh, excuse me, 10%, so roughly 100 beds are, are secured and isolated for individuals who might need resuscitative care due to COVID. So they're just blocking it off in case. If every mm-hmm. hospital blocks off 10% in large population areas, they're going to be overwhelmed because you'll need way more than that, unless it spreads a lot more slowly than it did in some of the countries that have been most affected. The good, what's the good news is in China they've seen, presuming we can believe the data from China, right, they've right. seen a tremendous slowing down in number of new cases, which is sort of what you would expect. It's going to peak and then it's going to slow down. What makes a difference to us is how high that peak goes and how rapidly we reach that peak. Right. Mm-hmm. The question I have is, like, South Korea is another really good example of, like, China. They seem to have cut it off. It feels like to me that we are obviously not going to ever get to their level because of just cultural issues, but it seems like we jumped ahead. Of we, um, We're in between what Italy was doing and what the South Koreans were doing. Like I feel like we did get ahead of it a little bit more than the countries that are having the worst worst of it. Do you did you do you see that timing or no? Am I is that just Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think what our, our response would have been even faster if the general populace would have taken it more seriously at the right. outset. But I do I agree with you. I think we're going to be somewhere in between the two. Remember, South Korea was doing random testing also and blocking off whole communities. Mm-hmm. One of the problems we have which is one of the benefits of our country, but in this setting it's a detriment, is the freedoms. You're free to travel until an imposition is placed. People were traveling from countries where it was the, or is fairly prevalent. And you're going through airports with crowded people, going through security where you're on top of each other, going through a plane, and even though the, the air on the plane is filtered, it's still recirculated and you're next to people where there's no place for them to breathe or move, and you're, you're cramped next to each other so it's easy to spread in crowded places the fact that there are all these restrictions now you know in new york city they just said all bars and restaurants have takeout only theaters mm-hmm. are closed it's if you if someone wants to con- control the spread that's exactly what has to happen and that's what's being done the schools are all closing because you don't want groups of individuals on top of each other that have the potential to spread it. And even though there have been no deaths in children under nine, the fact is they could bring it home to their parents or grandparents. And again, once it's in the community, it can spread. But I do agree with your statement, Alan, that we're somewhere in between the two. One of the things that has held up testing is availability of the tests. And until the private companies bought into the government response to have them on board with free testing and waiving co-pays and everything else, it delayed the tests in addition to actual just distributing kits and making sure that uh, we have the volume of kits we need. Even now, it's recommended that only individuals with symptoms get screened and not the, the, the general populace. But you, you will think, see you think that's, screen you the think, general populace. Do you think that's wise? Because I, I think there's a... There's a, there's a um, an argument that could be made that if we if we did have millions of test kits and it was just like yeah go pick one up at CVS and test yourself, that we'd have a lot of people testing positive for this 
And that, that in I, and of oh, itself could create a panic situation. I agree with you. It's the tip of the iceberg to have all this, uh, to have random testing, absolutely, or testing on demand. And the mm-hmm. reality is, although, it, well, the reality is twofold, okay? It's a dichotomy of thinking. Do you screen everybody and asymptomatic individuals who test positive, isolate them to prevent the spread, or are there a large number of individuals who either have some sort of innate immunity or are going to be minimally affected by this virus, and you'll be able to see whoever needs care will, will be taken care of. Right. You know, I really think if you want to s- stop spread of a pandemic, you isolate. And mm-hmm. uh, screening everyone who tests positive, oh, yeah, the stock market, you think it's down now? Wait till you have a million or two million people exactly. test positive. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But and and the, the, other so, hand, the possible civil unrest that goes on when you've got people saying, oh, my God, I've got it. Like, I've got to get to the hospital emergency room, even though they right. don't have any symptoms. Exactly. You'll overwhelm the emergency rooms and you'll end up spreading yeah. it to more people who maybe mm-hmm. wouldn't have gotten it because the right. second someone sneezes, they're going to think, oh, my God, I have uh, I have the uh, I have COVID-19. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how the term bless you started. Uh, Back in the Middle Ages, when uh, the plague was around, they thought if you sneezed, you had the plague and you were going to die. So it was God bless your soul. And then over time, it just became bless you. Wow. You know, you don't want people walking around thinking if they sneeze once, they're going to die. Because again, our best information, and this may change, our best information is only 10 to 15% of individuals get very sick from it. And most of those recover. Mm -hmm. The death rate, even in those over 80, is on the order of 5% or less which is still a large number if a lot of people get exposed. But it's nothing like Ebola, which has 70% or so death rate. MERS, which was the Middle Eastern respiratory uh, ailment, which had a 35% death rate. And even SARS, which had a 5 to 10% death rate. So this, well, luckily, is way lower. Have it. It's going to be lower than everyone's saying now. Which could, would be good have... if it's... Sorry. If you tested it, no, no, okay. Finish. I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. Definitely true. Because we're only seeing a small percentage of people who probably are positive. Right. Could we have handled this a different way? Where um, maybe we said, "Listen, we know the, the, a large percent of the population will get this, and it's not that dangerous to them." Why wasn't the strategy to quarantine those that, that are the most susceptible for this to be dangerous to them? Like, like quarantine off the elderly or those with the underlying illnesses to the extent possible and almost let this run its course in the general population so that there's like a, a communal, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, tolerance, oh, communal immune, immune, immune reaction. Yeah, it exists at that point. Like, right. like my fear is that if we do what we're doing now, okay, we're all in this isolation for eight weeks and it goes down and we control it and then we come back together. I mean, if there's still little pockets of people that have it, wouldn't it then again just um, run through the population? Yeah, that's a, a, a good idea. The problem is that, one, we don't have a sort of dictatorial process in the country, so you're really relying on people's altruism to prevent the spread And the other is, I think it took a while for people to really accept the fact that, hey, this is really coming here, and it's here. Now let's do something. Um, You know, what would would have happened if at the first first cases, so let's say because of the incubation period, information started drifting through uh, from uh, China with this new type of virus that wasn't isolated yet in, I think, November. So you're going back to the first contagion probably end of October, beginning of November, 
If we had said then, we're not letting anybody in the United States, we're quarantining the country, what do you think that would have done to the general populace as well as uh, the, the economics of the country? Because you see what it's doing right now. I mean, a trillion dollars was lost, what was it, last yeah. Thursday? I mean, the, the problem is... Oh, wait, are you saying, are you saying have, that we would have, would have excluded international travel at that point? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that would have been, obviously in retrospect, right, that would have been a wise thing to yeah. do. That yeah. would have been the thing to do, and then you just have to rely on the small trickle of people who sneak through the system. But mm-hmm. I don't think you would have had people buying into it, and there would have been all sorts of cries of restricting liberties, and you, would have, and you have a private sector that would be very much affected very early on. I think it... Mm-hmm. Ta- and I, I, you're absolutely right, and that's what could have been done, and maybe it should have been done, but I think you would not have had a lot of political or economic buy-in to that, and it's only once it starts hitting home that people sort of accept the fact, hey, wait a minute, this is real. Look at these people walking down the streets. Look at uh, the, the subways. Look at the airports. People are not flying the way they used to. I, th- I think that uh, in a smaller what? country, it's a lot easier to isolate. That, yeah, in a, that sort of dick authoritarianish actions just is never going to work in our country ever. Right. But, but not an official quarantine, but if we had said, listen, my mother, who's you know, 77, in good health, you know, no underlying thing, but it was like, listen, you've got to hang out. You know, we're recommending that you stay in your home for a month. Like, don't leave. If, if you need groceries, they'll be delivered to you. Like, like, really cater to that population, which is the most susceptible right. to this, and, and, and let us and let the economy sort of do its thing, let this virus run through the regular population so that it's done with. Um, well, you know, with, done with, done with, Will. I mean, you still have to get a cure for it to be truly done with. At some to point. be done with, right. But, even, but it would be more done with, I think, in that scenario than it's going to be this way. Yeah. I have my parents I, in uh, in in you know my parents are in their 80s i'm like don't leave your house we ordered them food we're not far from them if there's a problem but i'm like do not leave your house for any reason for the next two to three months but mm-hmm. to them it's better yeah, it's i better. think i think that's exactly what needs to be done i mean most of the nursing homes in the area i can't speak about the rest of the country but most of the nursing homes in the area with which i'm familiar have eliminated any visitors Mm-hmm. Um, because you want to protect it from the most vulnerable individuals, and the most vulnerable individuals are going to be spreading it to their relatives, etc. So the only way to curtail it is to really hit the high-density areas, isolate them, and uh, I don't know if it's completely whatever happens in the general population happens, but certainly it's a lot more tolerant, or the, bo- the body of a 25-year-old healthy individual is going to tolerate this much better than someone who's a 75 or 85 year old with uh, chronic lung disease and uh, cardiovascular disease. Mm-hmm. Hey, Ricky, was I correct when I said that the only way it'll ever really be gone, gone is when there's a, a vaccine, a vaccine or a, a cure for it, or is that not necessarily yeah. true? No, no, no. That's that the virus will still, right. It's like smallpox. The virus may exist in the wild, but except for an isolated case here and there, smallpox is essentially eradicated. Uh, Polio is essentially eradicated. If everybody would get vaccinated, then whether or not the virus exists in the population wouldn't be an issue because nobody would, or a very small percentage, let's say a a tiny percentage of people who are vaccinated might still get it. Um, If it's an effective vaccine, yeah, you would eliminate the disease. Right, right. 
But, you know, things like these diseases are very hard to um, limit unless you have complete buy-in. Smallpox is eliminated for all intents and purposes except in experimental laboratories because the, the world basically bought into it. And the WHO, for all its shortcomings, basically had every country disseminate vaccines. No kid now gets a vaccination for smallpox. All of us that are, I don't know the exact age, let's say 30 and older, have a little mark on our arm mm -hmm. from where we got the smallpox vaccine. The younger kids don't, don't younger kids, I mean, they're not kids at 30, but younger, <laughs> younger than that doesn't have that. My kids didn't get smallpox. Actually, it's probably more than 30. It's probably 45 years. They didn't, they didn't, no one gets a smallpox vaccination now. You couldn't get one if you wanted one unless you went through an experimental protocol because they eradicated it. It was a worldwide buy-in. Polio, except for one outbreak uh, in the last 15 years, is almost unheard of for the same reason. Everybody was vaccinated, so the virus might be existing in a reservoir someplace, but it's not, and by reservoir I don't mean water. I mean some sort of organism that's harboring it. But in humans, you just don't hear of polio outbreaks for the same reason. The, va the vaccines, whether oral or injectable, have uh, basically eliminated it. Speaking are, are you that, what is the Go ahead, origin? Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. What is the origin of this? I've heard a couple. What is the? Is it from bats? What is? What, as what? best can be told right now, and there was a very eloquent presentation by one of these international committees on retroviruses. That oddly enough was one of the first meetings canceled, even though this is probably the meeting that needed to be conducted. Um, they had a great webinar on it. It's about an hour and a half. And um, they had experts from every one of the subdisciplines. So they had epidemiologists, they had virologists, they had individual pharmacologists, every, every step that you could imagine. And they showed the breakdown of all different coronaviruses because coronaviruses have been around for years and known, they've been known about for years. And most of them cause a very mild illness. There are about five or six that are felt to cause severe illnesses. And most of them are not in humans. This one, as far as they can tell, originated in bats, with the civet cat, C-I-V-E-T cat, as one of the vectors for it, and either from eating the bats or coming into close contact with them or their flesh is what allowed it to mutate into a point that eventually mutated in one that could be transmitted from human to human. And it was the same thing with the, uh, the so-called swine flu virus in 2009. It was not originally a human virus. That was Avi avian flu too, right? An avian flu, too, right? It came from the uh, H1N1 outbreak that was only about four years ago, right? Five years mm -hmm. ago? was mm -hmm. uh, originally in, in birds. It was chickens that they thought that some of the individuals in China who were in tremendously close proximity with the chickens on a regular basis, uh, uh, the virus eventually took hold in humans, and from there it spread from human to human. This just seemed to be one where there was no natural immunity, no vaccine equivalent, and as a result, it spread very rapidly and with international travel because it wasn't contained in China. I think the Chinese government was very slow in admitting it, very slow in enacting it. And there are all sorts of conspiracy theories, which I'm not going to feed into because it seems sure. to me it was just one of these situations that the virus mutated to the point where it was now transmissible from human to human. And, and why do you think, because um, I think the overall consensus here is, even for someone like me, is like, oh, how come the government didn't jump on this as quickly as they could have? Because, um, like, I remember during 
you know, uh, Christmas and New Year's during around that time hearing about this. And, you know, there was, there was talk about, oh, this virus in China. Like the CDC, like, like it, wouldn't this have been on their radar to say, hey, this is something serious. We need to sort of get ahead of the curve on this. And it, it seems if we were doing some of the things, you know, regardless of testing or maybe even having a plan in place for, for now, or like you had said about stopping all international travel, like where were they on this? Were they, were they up to speed on it and they just didn't put in the right steps or they, they weren't up to speed on this? Um, I think it's retrospective that they weren't up to speed on it. I don't know how much they believe the outbreak was coming because the data from China was so slow in coming out. And just mm-hmm. once it started appearing in other countries and then China was sort of... I don't know if they were forced or coerced, but they started releasing their numbers. That's when it really took off. Okay. That, you know, that's when all the uh, preventive measures were begun to um, be enacted. But it's still very difficult in our country to limit spread unless you truly get the population to buy yeah. into it. And I think there's yeah. so much paranoia and uh, wariness in our populace as a rule. And that, in some cases, is really good. But in other cases, such as this, is not so good because mm-hmm. you, people need to get sort of that the proverbial slap in the face to wake up to say, hey, this is real, and I really need to be careful about where I'm going. You know, just yesterday I was in Starbucks picking up uh, a, um, an iced tea, and there were these three girls sitting right on top of the counter where the drinks are being distributed, and they're sitting there waiting for their drink. So one, who knows whose other stuff they're on which they're breathing, and the other is who knows to what they're getting exposed. And they're, lottie, they're completely laissez-faire, didn't care about it. And if they cared, they certainly didn't express any uh, sentiments to that effect. Mm-hmm. Right? Certainly no actions. So you have to buy, get everybody to buy into it. And you know, maybe they're in an age group where they feel this invincibility, but they might bring it home to their parents or grandparents. Or, right, right. I think this is going to end up being one of the most fantastic social experiments about the geopolitical um, informational yeah just social ways around the world and how different they are and how the implications of that and like you said sometimes it's great to be open and free but sometimes it's going to work against you like exactly and it's a very interesting you know just dynamic yeah as has been said by many people uh on different social media, it's a shame that something like this is what it took to get people to actually wash their hands and cover their mouth when they sneeze. Right. Mm-hmm. Because in theory, this is progressing as any serious flu outbreak would. I mean, it's not really that different if you think about the, the spread of it. And the potential for injury is greater. But, you know, in the Spanish flu, it was something like 20% of the world was affected and 20% of those who had it died. So, um, you know, that's back in 1918, 1919. So, you know, without care, you're looking at something that could do that. Luckily, it's not going to do it, and governments are buying in. I mean, Australia has a uh, um, two-week quarantine. Israel has all visitors coming in, two-week quarantine. If they're citizens, two-week home quarantine. And they're using tracking devices to make – or tracking technology – to see that people are following it. And you have a country yeah, right, there that's yeah. probably much more willing to go along with the sacrifices right. because they know when they've had to sacrifice for other things. But that's what you yeah. need. And remember, we have 350 million. Israel has 7 million people. 
and I'm willing to bet I that there are groups weak within weak Israel that might not follow through. I think the weekend yeah. days yeah. of much everything is going to be shut down. It's yeah, I think. And, and, and is, what make, is what makes this so dangerous compared to the flu, like the degree to which it's contagious or, or it's, uh, you know, the, the rate by which p- people die from it? or a combination of the two? Uh, Probably both. I mean, the CDC is recommending usually three-foot personal space for the flu. They're recommending six-foot for this. Um, But it also clearly has a higher death rate than the flu. I mean, the flu typically is under 1% death rate, and this, as best we can tell, across all populations is three to three and a half percent, which may be a lot lower if you screened everybody. But in terms of people who test positive, it's three to mm-hmm. three and a half percent. And same thing with the flu. We can only go by what the numerator and denominators right. available are. But clearly more people have the flu than have been tested for it. Right. That's a good point. So do you, do you think like six months from now, like we'll look back on this? And I know, I know, listen, it's, this is so early on and there's a lot of variables to play out that we'll look back on this and think we did a good job or that we didn't do a good job. I mean, and, and good job being that, you know, we as a country, a government, our people, we, we, we did the right things and, uh, you know, we, we, we yeah, stayed this off or we pulled yeah. it up. Obviously, time will tell, but it took Superstorm Sandy for us to realize that, hey, we need disaster plans for, nat- for na- um, natural disasters. I mean, as an obstetrician, I will tell you, it was, a, it was unbelievable here what happened. I mean, NYU was basically incapacitated, so you're taking their entire population and has, they had to be transported. Those in the hospital had to be transported out. The, one, the patients who would have been followed by NYU doctors had to find another place to go. We were giving emergency privileges to NYU doctors so they would have a place to deliver, and not just in OB, in any, every field, every hospital in the city pitched in to help those hospitals that were completely shut down. So now there are disaster plans in effect. This, I think, will set the pace for any future disasters and similar disasters, similar pandemics. And I do think that in retrospect, people will say, okay, look, we were were lucky we contained it. We got off to a little bit of a slow start, but in the end, it worked out well. That's what I'm anticipating, and I'm I'm sort of hopeful that's what happens. Me too. Me too. I feel like that, that will be the silver lining in all this. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, guys, I've, I've got to run. But, Ricky, um, I appreciate this. Can we, maybe we can do this, like, every, uh, you know, couple of weeks or so, just to sort of uh, keep the campers up to date on what's happening from a, Absolutely. From a trusted source? Absolutely. We'd be source. happy to. Really? Always good All to right. talk to you guys. Same here. Too, uh, like, okay, be well, be safe. Uh, Particularly you. And don't stop believing. Never. Never. Okay, All take right. care. Peace. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.